today, and we pray for the safe travel of those who are still coming, um, that you would um, bring them here safely, and Lord, for the purpose of fellowshipping with your people, for the purpose of um, basking in the presence of your Spirit amongst your people as they gather. Um, Lord, we pray for uh, help this morning as we talk about prayer. Um, help us to pray. Um, grow us in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that Jim had with um, Lynn and Mac. Just pray that, or at least with Lynn, I just pray that you would please um, uh, help them to seek out uh, a church and to be connected. And Lord, that they would even come here uh, to be ministered to. We thank you for the word that you've given, uh, that we don't have to pick and choose. Uh, Lord, of course, there are themes that you lace throughout scripture that we can investigate. But Lord, uh, we thank you just for the, the steady diet of... Um, of um, how you've composed the scripture. And so, Lord, we just pray that we'd be faithful to that, to understand it, and to live by it. Again, Lord, we just ask for help as we continue to consider prayer and just make us a, a more prayerful people in our private lives and in our corporate life as a church. So we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, what we've been doing over the last uh, few weeks is just talking about how to define prayer. And that kind of culminated last week in a definition. So I don't know if you still have that little bookmark um, or not that I gave you. Um, but let me just remind you of kind of the definition that we landed on. Prayer is reverential communication with God, which acknowledges God as Savior and desires his relational presence, which is distant in a fallen world. Uh, prayer typically requests God to act in some way based on who God is, what he does, what he has promised to do, and his relationship with the one praying. The content of prayer is some mixture of praise, thanksgiving, confession, lament, query, and petition. So uh, we looked at that, and um, we looked at what prayer is, and all kind of sample different types of prayer. Uh, but now we want to try to transition to, uh, from defining what prayer is, um, we want to talk about today, why should we pray? Uh, why should we do it? Um, let's start with what you would, how you would answer that question. Why would... Why do we pray? We talked about what prayer is, but why do we do it? Or why should we do it? So that basically, if I, you're saying that we pray because of the relationship that's there um, and what's expressed in that relationship. Good. Uh, what else? Why do we pray? Yeah, an expression of trust and dependence, absolutely. Okay? Yeah, Patricia. Yeah, there's a command to pray, um, absolutely. Okay? Good. Any others? Yeah, to get to know him better, which would con connect with what Steve said about the relationship. So, 
Good. You've hit on many of the aspects of why we pray. We wanna, we're going to hit many of those, and then we'll maybe add a couple more. But let's, let's just start with the one that was recently mentioned. Why do we pray? Because it's commanded. Go to Luke 18, uh, 1. There are a few key sections in the Gospels where Jesus teaches on prayer, and Luke 18 um, is one of them. So, um, someone, and we'll read more of Luke 18 here in a minute, but just, let's just start with verse 1. Someone go ahead and read Luke 18, 1. Okay, so just from that, um, what, what do we learn um, about uh, why we should pray? Okay, yeah, so there's the not losing heart while you pray, and Jesus directly says you ought always to pray, right? So we go back to the idea of it's commanded. Um, Jesus wants us to pray. So if we're a follower of Jesus, uh, we ought to pray, and we ought always to pray as a regular pattern of our life. We can see it again, that idea of why should we pray uh, because it's commanded. We can see it also in Colossians. We'll come back to Luke 18, so you might want to stick your thumb or finger in there. Um, but if you go to Colossians 4, so Jesus has said you ought always to pray, and not, not lose heart, not give up. Um, Paul says this to the Colossians in Colossians 4.2. What does he say? Yep. So again, a command, continue steadfastly in prayer. Um, do it regularly, do it consistently, do it, um, you know, to use Jesus' language, not, not giving up. You're steadfast in it. Uh, you're being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We saw thanksgiving is one of those components of a biblical prayer. Um, so uh, at a raw, basic level, why do we pray? Jesus commands us to do it. It's supposed to be part of following him. But we can go more than that. Uh, we can go, uh, we can delve in uh, more. Um, let's go back to Luke 18. And um, let's consider this reason that uh, we should pray. Uh, God answers. We pray because God answers. Uh, look at, let's go back to Luke 18. Um, and we already read the first verse, but let's go ahead and reread it again. Let's read verses 1 through 8. Someone go ahead and read verses 1 through 8 in Luke 18.
through verse 8, please. Yeah. So what is Jesus saying in the whole section? The commands he starts with, right? We already looked at the command. You ought always to pray and not give up. And he's telling them this whole parable to bolster that command. So what is, what is he saying in the rest of the section? He kind of uses this comparison between, even if you have like a totally corrupt and like unrighteous judge, and you've got this woman who keeps kind of knocking at the door, keep pounding, keep being annoying, right? Um, and so this judge is like, all right, even though I'm totally corrupt, like just to get rid of this person, I'm going to answer quickly. Now, Jesus is not saying God is like this judge. He's drawing a comparison, right? He's saying, even in that scenario, um, the, the unrighteous judge would answer. But how much more um, does our Heavenly Father answer and give justice and give justice speedily to his people? Um, and so that's um, that, that's his comparison. So what is, it, what is Jesus saying? You, you keep praying and don't give up. Sometimes it seems like there's not an answer, but God does answer, and God will bring justice. Maybe not in the way you think he will, if we were to look at the broad, broader scope of how we pray and how God answers prayer, but he will answer. Um, I don't, Tony, you had your hand up briefly, so I don't know if Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So he wants to have people who can endure, and that endurance comes from patience. You'll see that in Revelation. Mm -hmm. Have patience. Yeah. So that's a real key component. Yeah. Yeah. So there's um, faith. Prayer expresses faith. Um, continued dependence. Faith is a faithful faith. It's a persistent faith. Um, and it recognizes faith is, the object of faith is not like your own ability. The object of faith is the one who has ability, in this case God, and the God of justice who's going to answer. Uh, but you still got to ask. But the encouragement here is Jesus saying God's going to answer. Maybe not in the way you think, um, but he will, he will answer. Um, now, that, maybe that sounds a little uh, like, 
um, you know, again we're, again, we're talking about reasons we pray. Um, but uh, we, we should really um, think about, uh, yeah, God answers prayer. Maybe it sounds kind of simplistic to say, but that should give us a reason for praying. God really does hear. Doesn't necessarily answer in our timing. Doesn't necessarily answer in the way that we, uh, we think about, but he will answer. And so that's a reason to pray. He does hear us. We, we can go back to those imagery when we were talking about defining prayer of incense rising before God in heaven. God hears in heaven, and God will act. And that should be a reason for us to pray. Um, any other thoughts on that? We're going to develop it a little bit more, but um, any, any questions or thoughts on that? Okay. Now, under that, if you were to think of God answers as a heading, uh, we could actually develop that thought a little bit more and give us a couple more reasons. Um, why should we pray? Well, because God answers, and as a kind of a sub-reason to that, God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. Uh, let me give you some examples of this. Um, a couple, uh, mundane's not the right word, but couple examples we wouldn't necessarily think of to kind of demonstrate the, the principle and then some, some um, other passages. So let's go to Job. Go to Job 42. Job 42. Um, so what has happened in Job by the time we get to Job 42, the very ending chapter? Like, what's going on, broadly speaking, in Job 42? Yeah, everyone's spoken, said their peace. God has spoken, corrected Job, and here we're going to see he's going to correct his friends. God's going to correct his friends. But the way he talks about correcting his friends is interesting and in how it relates to prayer. So... Someone go ahead and read Job 42, 7 through 9. Through, through nine, please. Now, this is a really interesting scenario, and it's not the only time something like this happens in the scriptures. There's, there's an ex another example. We might not go to it in Genesis 20, verses 1 through 7 with Abraham and Abimelech. But think about what's going on in this little scenario here with Job and his friends. 
Uh, who's God talking to? To the friends, right? And what does he say to the friends? Yeah, he's angry against them. And, and they haven't spoken of God what's right, so he's, he's angry. But what does he say then? It's like, here's the problem. What does he then tell them to do? Yeah, so go to Job to do what? Have Job offer sacrifices to, uh, but then what else? Have Job pray for you. And then what does he say? When you do that, what's going to happen? You'll accept it. In other words, you know, um, God's going to accept the prayer and God's going to forgive them. So think of what's happening. God is talking to the friends. He's saying, I'm angry with you. Here's why I'm angry. Here's the process to be made right with me, and I'm going to forgive you. So God's plan in all of this is to forgive the friends. Well, why didn't he just do it? Right? And just say, I forgive you. Right there. Right? There's this process. Now there's the process, there's sacrifice, so there's a payment, an atonement that needs to be made for sin. But what we see here, and what I want to draw your attention to, and again, this is um, it's just a way to see this principle at work in the rest of Scripture, it's a microcosm of it, that um, God already has the plan to forgive these guys. He's already determined to forgive these guys. But the means that he's going to do it, yes, includes sacrifice, but it includes prayer. Job's prayer of intercession on behalf of his friends. So what do we conclude from that? We see this principle at work that God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. He is already determined to forgive these guys, but would he have forgiven them without the prayer and without the sacrifices? No, because God himself prescribed those means for him, him to forgive them. So when we think about how prayer works um, and how it works with humanity, that, that, that same chord is true throughout Scripture. God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God has fixed what is going to happen. And yet, at the same time, that that plan that he has fixed to happen, um, he also ordains the means of things like human prayer. So there are things that happen and that God has decreed to happen that will only happen when human beings pray. Not because God needs human beings, but because he's determined to use that means to have himself moved to accomplish his plan. So sometimes you think about um, or hear that, well, why pray? God already knows how it fixes. Well, we could answer that in multiple ways, but one of the things we can say is actually just uh, God ordains the end, not only the ends, what he's fixed to happen, but also the way of getting there. And one of those means is prayer. Uh, like I said, another example where you kind of see that dynamic is in Genesis 21 through 7. You don't have to go there. You can look at it later with Abraham and Abimelech. Essentially, something similar happens. Because of Abraham's sin, um, Abimelech and his family are in trouble. And God talks to Abimelech and says, Oh, I kept you from sinning against me. Um, but there's still like people that are sick in his household and that are uh, in trouble. And God says, go ahead and go to Abraham, the guy that caused this whole problem in the first place, to pray for you so that you're healed. 
He doesn't heal them right then. He has them go to Abraham to pray for him to accomplish the end. So again, it's just that same dynamic that we see here in Job 42. We can see it even in the prayer that Jesus gives us as a template, uh, a general template for how we are to pray. Go to Matthew 6. Um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 7. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. And when you pray, talking to the disciples, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So there Jesus is affirming God's Sovereignty. God already knows. He already knows what you need. He already knows your requests. And so you might say, uh, and so then Jesus says, so don't worry about praying at all. Is that what the text says? It is not what um, Jesus says. Jesus then says, based on that fact, here's how you ought to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be treated as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now think about, let's especially think about um, the first few petitions. Um, what, what, is, what, is, what are we to pray for uh, according to this template? And especially, just focus on the first few petitions. Okay, so we're, that's who we're addressing. What do we pray to him about? What do we pray to our Father about? Yeah. Yeah, so for, for well, first, for God's name to be treated as holy, which is not happening in the world by and large. We pray for his kingdom to come. So for, you know, knowing what we know about the rest of Matthew, for Jesus to come, to conquer all his enemies, and then to conquer even death, and to hand everything over to the Father. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 says. He's already determined to do do these things. Um, Your will happen uh, on earth as it is in in heaven. So what, and God's will here is not um, his secret will. This is like what God desires, like the things that are spoken of in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, which will happen as we look at Scripture and we look at the promises of God in Scripture. Like, all of those things are promised to happen. And yet, Jesus says, um, pray in that direction. And if we tie that in with this principle we're talking about, um, one of the means that God uses to accomplish where he is already planned to go in the world is prayer. That's why Jesus instructs us that way. Uh, We can see this uh, played out in the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation 8. So the end, when everything is culminating up, the end near when Christ comes back um, to earth to establish his kingdom. Um, Part of that, we see... Um, is accomplished through prayer. I think we looked at this passage maybe, maybe once before, but uh, let's go ahead and look at it again. Re- Revelation 8, 1 through 5. 
I'm going to read that. Yeah, and, and if you were to connect this even with uh, an earlier statement in Revelation 6, um, uh, I should have written it down ahead of time. Uh, yeah, there we go, 6-9. It says this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, how, O sovereign Lord, how holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete or to be killed as they themselves have been. So you tie those two together and what, what's going on is God is taking back the earth through judgment. And in 8, you know, you can kind of see some of the appeals that some of the saints are making in 6. But then in 8, uh, in particular, you kind of see this general description of these prayers of the saints and they're offered on this altar, but then from that altar is where the fires of judgment are being thrown onto the earth. God has already determined to judge the earth, but in this context, at least the prayers of the saints are, some are connected with uh, God accomplishing that judgment. So again, you see that dynamic that God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his own plans. So in 8, he's using it as a means of establishing his kingdom, through judgment. Um, how does that kind of shift your, your thinking on prayer? Or does it? Or what reactions do you have? Questions? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That um, It's not that God needs my prayer to do anything, but he has chosen to use my prayers... Uh, together with the rest of his saints who are calling to him to accomplish what he himself has determined to do. If you're still struggling with this maybe a little bit, you can think of, um, you can liken it to evangelism, right? So God saves someone, God regenerates someone um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we know that that happens. How does he do that? Yes, through the Holy Spirit, right? This Holy Spirit has to act. But what, what does he use for someone to be regenerated? Yeah, hearing the word, right? Hearing someone proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Paul is very clear about this in Romans 10, right? Uh, uh, no one's going to believe unless they hear. And so, though God regenerates a person, that doesn't happen apart from the human means of actually proclaiming. And so you can kind of think about it as a parallel reality. It's just another example. What we're seeing in prayer is just another example of that same reality of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans. 
and uh, he is pleased to do so. Any questions on that? I mean, it, I mean, it's God is determined for it to be one of those things that He uses to move Himself to act, um, and so it's it's important. It's not an afterthought; it gives it weight. Uh, let's talk about another reason. So um, we've talked about why should we pray? Because it's commanded. Because God answers. Because God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing His plans. Uh, and here's, here's one, um, here's another, uh, because it gives us joy to see God answer prayer. It gives us joy to see God answer prayer. Jesus talks about this in John. John 16, um, right before he's going to go to the cross, um, he's giving lots of instruction to his disciples in John. Um, and he's also, you know, saying what's going to happen with the coming of the Spirit, what's going to happen after he has um, died and rose again. Um, and in the midst of that, we, we see this promise, um, uh, John sixteen twenty three and 24. Jesus says this, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And so here we see a reality that with what Jesus is doing through his atonement, what he's doing through the sending of the Spirit, um, there is a greater level of intimacy that has ever happened in humanity, or fallen humanity for sure. Um, and what, is he, what does Jesus say? Ask. Ask Why? so that your joy may be full. Uh, and so if we think about the heading of God really does answer prayer, he answers it as a means of accomplishing his own plans, yes, but when we see those answers, when we see the Father answering those prayers, we receive joy uh, because it signals our closeness with God. God is actually hearing us and answering us. That gives us joy. Uh, we are part of what he is doing in the world, um, we are intimately involved with him, going back to the relational side of things. Um, and so we pray because God really is going to answer. And when he answers, that gives us joy, or it ought to. Um, what should that do as we think about our, our prayer life? That reason of, okay, I'm going to go to prayer 
because I, I, I'm looking for my joy. How does that shift th- things? How, how does that help us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's filling you up with happiness, joy. Yeah, it's 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 um it, and it it should you know we struggle with prayer. If you were to think about week one when we talked about why we struggle to pray, right? This should help us to pray, right? Because if we believe that God is really going to hear and God does answer, and He does. Um, and Jesus calls us to pray and says, yeah, go ahead and look for your joy in that. Not in the sense of, oh, okay, I'm going to ask for a, a million dollars, and yay, I got it, I'm happy. Not like that, but I am so aligned with God's plans and where he is going in the world. Think back to the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And I see ways in which God used my prayers, he answered them, and I see bits and pieces of him advancing his kingdom purposes, uh, then if we truly are seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, we're going to be joyful to see God accomplishing his plan in the world. And that should motivate us to go to prayer. Um, And finally, let's end with this reason. We kind of actually, some of you mentioned it at the beginning. Um, So why do we go to God in prayer? Because it's commanded, because God answers, because God uses prayer as a means of accomplishing his plans, because it gives us joy to see God answer prayer. And really, if you think to all those sample prayers that we looked at while defining what prayer is, it maintains our relationship with God through honest communication. So this is kind of what Steve said at the beginning. Um, think of like the prayers of Hannah or those prayers of lament that we looked at. Or think of Jesus' prayers when he's on earth. He goes away by himself. Think of his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, they're real. There's real communication um, and there's a real relationship and there's honest communication. God already knows what's on your heart anyway, but prayer isn't really an opportunity to pour out your heart. That's one of the ways that prayer is described in the, old, in, in the, the scriptures, is pouring out your heart to God. Um, why? Why, did, why should we lament? Why should we go to God in sadness? Why should we go to God when we're, we're grieving, when we're confessing, when we're joyful, when we're praising, when we're thanking? Well, because our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that act of prayer is a means of maintaining and communing in that relationship. Um, which really, you know, if you think about prayer, that's kind of the, the broadest reason, the most important reason, um, and subsumes all of the things that we've talked about. Questions on what we've talked about today. Why should we pray? Because it's commanded, because God answers, because God uses it as a means of accomplishing his plans, because it gives us joy to see God answer prayer because it maintains a relationship with God through honest communication. Any questions? Yes, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. 
Right. And that's where, like, you know, you kind of, you can kind of tie in the, the John 16 passage and the Luke 18. So Luke 18, Jesus is saying, keep praying, keep being persistent. Um, what are your desires in prayer, right? Um, according to the template that Jesus gives in Matthew 6, our foremost desires are to be for his kingdom, um, for his glory, for his advancement. That's where our joy is going to come from. And yet, we can pray in that direction and yet say, Lord, why is there, why aren't people getting saved? Why aren't, why are, why are your Christians really struggling, why are your people really struggling with obedience? Why are, you know, any number of things, right? And we struggle and like, um, you know, and we have that tension and yet that joy, when we see, that joy is in response to seeing God answer. When we see um, him answer and going in the direction that he's wanting to go in his plan, and we see him answer, and we see pockets of, yes, I see it. You are moving your plan forward, and I got to be a part of it through prayer, and there's joy in that. And yet there's also this tension. It's like, well, I want to see more, and yet we don't see it, right? Then we have to be content and persistent and prayerful even as we, as we wait for God to answer. Uh, yeah, Tony. And yet, even, even in all of that, in the longing, we do see God answer. And when he answers and when he, we see him head in the direction that he's predestined, there's joy in that. So, Okay, um, let's end with some, some time um, prayer. Here are four things that I'd like a couple people to volunteer to pray for. So a guy and a gal. Um, we kind of prayed this one last week, but we'll pray it again. Pray that we would pray expecting God to answer prayer. Pray that we would pray, expecting God to answer prayer, that we would be expectant. Um, pray that we would pray according to God's plans, not our own. Um, and we kind of talked a little bit about this last week, the scope of our prayers being aligned with where God is going. Uh, pray that we would recognize God's answers to our prayers and rejoice. Right, when we see God answered prayer, that we would acknowledge it as such, and that we would rejoice. Uh, pray that we would be honest with God in prayer and experience communion and true relationship. So 
honesty with God in prayer and in that seeking of experiencing communion and relationship with him. Okay, so I have a guy and a gal uh, volunteer to pray and close this.